Hello, hello, and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Lori, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, and shedding some, some of those limiting beliefs and working through some of your childhood trauma. Today, I'm joined by Lizzie Merritt. Lizzie is a Martha Beck certified Wayfinder life coach and professional weight loss coach specializing in helping people figure out why they don't do the things that they think they should do in order to lose weight and feel happy. She believes that diets are just the worst. The only way to lose weight is imperfectly and that weight loss is much more about what's going between your ears and what's on your plate. Check out her book, You're a Miracle, to learn about all of the things that diets don't tell you. She also runs Spartan Races, cries at cheesy commercials, and is a huge movie nerd. We speak about a few different things on the episode, including how traditional diets go against the natural wiring of your brain, the brain science that explains why waiting until you lose the weight to feel happy does not work and what to do instead, the mindset mechanics behind self-sabotage and how to work with it instead of against it, and how to stop waiting to lose weight in order to fully participate in life. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lizzie, especially all of her neuroscience hacks, and I'm so excited to share this one with you. How are you going today, Lizzie? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here, Lori. I'm super excited to have you, another person from the Southeast. Um, yeah, just really excited to have you because I knew you, know you do a lot of work on like brain science and mindset mechanics. And I just know that people listening to the Holistic Fitness Podcast will love this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, I completely geek out on like, okay, what exactly is happening in my brain when I, you know, can't follow the rules of the diet or this, the type of thing. So it's, um, it's helped, um, in a lot of ways, kind of just kind of normalize, um, the, the everyday challenges that we struggle with when like we know what to do, but we actually have a hard time actually doing it. So yes, it's the, it's the how, but then also identifying like the why we want to do the what in the first place as well, <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. But I'm sure it will as we get exactly. through this conversation. Uh, I find it. So I always start the podcast with this. I find like when people are in a field like this, you know, you know, you've gotten to a point where you're really questioning like, why don't we want to do the what? And like, what's the science behind this? Like, what are our brains thinking? It's because we've been on our own personal journey to kind of get there. So can you provide me with the context that I would need to know to know why you help people in the way you do today? Yeah, thanks for asking. So um, when uh, my kids were small, my good friend asked me to come join her. Uh, she was starting a, a stroller strides franchise, which was exercise for new moms. And she said, you have to come. And so I was one of her first clients and that was great. And then she asked me to help her teach because she was going on maternity leave. And I said, oh, sure. But like, this is a temporary thing, right? And <laughs> uh, it turned out that I loved teaching uh, fitness. And it was it was really fun that the, the ladies became my community and my support. But the more I taught, the more I felt this just growing sense of imposter syndrome because mm. I did not feel confident or comfortable in my skin, but here I was at the front of the class. So why should they be listening to me? And I, I felt like, okay, I have got to find the secret. What, what is this magical sauce that's going to help me like, feel like I know what I'm talking about. And so I, of course thought, you know, I need to find the diet or the workout program. 
and, you know, several diet books later and many attempts at lots of things, I, I found myself at my dinner table reading another diet book and just looked up and was like, this is, this is crazy. If diet and exercise are not helping me get to where I want, feel comfortable and confident in my own skin, there's got to be more to it. And mm. so I went on kind of a, my own personal journey to figure out what exactly does it take to feel comfortable in your skin. And it has been so rewarding. And basically it boils down to uh, what's between your ears is so much more important than what's on your plate. Yes. That's... I love that you mentioned that. And that was like such a great, concise way to probably sum up what this conversation is going to be, <laughs> right. be about like what's between your ears is much more important than what's on on your your plate. I want to go back to um, not feeling like you kind of, and sorry if I'm putting words in your mouth here, sure. but it sounds like you didn't belong in that environment, environment of teaching people fitness. Can you um, further elaborate on that feeling and where that kind of stemmed from? Sure. So I had um, a background in athletics. Um, so I was an athlete and I took the requisite courses to become a certified trainer. Um, and so I guess on the surface with the actions, I felt um, qualified to teach fitness, but it was more in my heart. I didn't feel qualified to tell someone, here's how to feel good. Here's how to feel proud of your body. Here's how to feel amazing in your skin because I didn't feel that way myself. Mm. From your like experience as a... And that makes total sense, by the way. Like If you're not feeling the way that your clients are seeking to feel, it's it's hard to feel like you're the best person to be teaching them because it's like, right. am I embodying everything right now? Even though I do know how to help somebody get fit and healthy. From your experience, not just as a fitness trainer, but you know how you help people with what's in between their ears right now, what feelings are we kind of seeking in general? Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, when, when you ask someone, why do you want to lose weight? Um, generally, the answer is something surface level. Like I want to fit into the jeans I wore last year, or I want to look good for my vacation. Um, but not always. You also get people saying, you know, I just want to feel comfortable. I just want to feel proud of myself. I want to be present with my family when I go to the beach. And so that's that's kind of where I focused on was, it's not the milestone. It's not the the finish line that matters. It is the feeling that we're after because, mm. you know, as humans, we don't, everything we do is not to get the thing. It is to get the feeling that we think the thing will give us. Right. Um, and so I like to focus in on what is that feeling that you're after and how can we help you feel great and love yourself while you lose weight, as opposed to waiting for when you lose weight. Mm, I'm so aligned with you in that regard because it it often is surface level, like, eh, I want my husband to look at me in a certain way. Yeah. And, and, and often the feeling stems from what I've noticed. Like if you really break it down to the root cause of like, I'm not good enough and mm -hmm. I'm not good enough doesn't stem from the husband. It often stems from childhood and often stems from like being bullied or um, feeling like they weren't the favorite child or, you know, whatever that, whatever they attach to um, I'm not good enough and people are seeking to feel good enough in some regard, you know, whatever you call that feeling. So I would love to know, you know, kind of, you know, you've gone through your journey of identifying the feelings that you needed to feel yourself. Can you tell me what that journey, like what the tangible steps were to get to the feeling of mm -hmm. self-acceptance self by the sounds of things to feel like you 
can teach people in the way that you teach people? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, it definitely was a process. Um, and I've, I've honed it into a, a more concise one over time. <laughs> for me, it needed to start with, I need to figure out how to love myself no matter what the scale says. Mm-hmm. And before I can work on you know, changing my food, changing, you know, changing the shape of my body. And so I began to, one of the most powerful things that I think I ever did was I would sit down and I would meditate, but it was almost like a self-guided meditation where I would think about every part of my body, uh, internal and external. So I would always start with my heart because that's just where I prefer to start and be like, wow, my heart is an amazing organ. Like just think of all the things that it does. And then combined with my lungs, it somehow, I don't know the total science behind it, but converts carbon dioxide to oxygen. And then it goes all the way out through my body. And then what about my brain? Oh, wow. And then, you know, you just go to every organ, you know, reproductive organs. If you've had a child, somehow your body knew how to create an entirely new human with only a little bit of input from you. (laughs) Yes. You know, and so then, you know, go externally. I would think about like, wow, I love my eyes because it allows me to see my husband's smile or my arms give me a chance to hug my kids. And there's so much, so much about our bodies that are amazing right now, no matter mm. what the scale says. And we spend 99.9% of our time feeling like I, my body is not okay for all of these reasons. Mm. When we can flip that and be like, my body is amazing for all these reasons. And it's okay that I want to change a little bit of it, but I can love my body at the same time while still wanting to change. Oh. I love like how concisely you put that. It's like, it starts with meditating and we move towards gratitude to like learn how to love ourselves. And it's so important to love ourselves regardless of what's on the scales before we move into habits. And and you put that in a really beautiful and concise way. I'm curious, like, why does it need to start with love? Like, Mm. why can't somebody just really use their hate for their body as fuel to do a diet? Why doesn't that work? Oh, I love the way you put that. Okay. So I want to say two things. <laughs> um, first, I got to the number on the scale. I, I, I willpowered my way down. I, you know, grinded my way down the scale and I got to that number and I was like, and I am not happy. It, mm. it, it wasn't the miracle magical sauce that I thought it was going to be. And that was very disappointing. Um, but to your question of why can't we hate ourselves down the scale is because the, your thoughts are the fuel that, that drives the engine of your journey. And so toxic fuel leads to a desolate destination. Again, you can get to that number on the scale, but your brain is really good at getting good at what you practice. And so if you practice hating yourself, that is all you're going to know how to do, no matter what the scale says. So... Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like saying, when, I'll be happy when I lose weight. What we do with that thought is we put our happiness out there on the horizon across some you know, magical finish line. But what we practice day to day is I'm not happy today. I'll be happy tomorrow. I'll be happy when. And so whenever we get to that finish line, again, the brain gets good at what we practice. And if you've practiced, I'll be happy some other time. We don't know how to be happy today. And so mm. the goalposts moves and, and the only way to actually get to, again, going back to, we only do things because of how we think we want to make it, will make us feel. If you want to have that feeling, you've got to bring it into today 
so that your brain can practice that, get repetitions at it and feel like, okay, I, I know how to be happy today as I'm losing weight, as opposed to hating myself down the scale. And then suddenly I'm going to stop hating myself. No, because that's what you've practiced. Oh my goodness. That is, I love the way you put that as well, because that's exactly what I see as well. You know, you can be a bodybuilder in incredible shape and have body dysmorphia. Like the way you look at yourself, you still don't think as though you're in incredible shape. And, and, or, you know, down the other spectrum, like you crave toxic relationships or you crave self-hatred in some sort of other way, like whether it's, um, not that I'm against this, I'm wearing them right now, but whether it's like fake eyelashes or whether it's Botox or like finding mm-hmm. some other sort of fuel that's not fuel, like solution to try to make ourselves feel better about like our external. And it's funny because as a fitness trainer, you probably know this, Lizzie, but we start people up on off on a program with they need at the gym of high reps. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we want them to build the muscle memory of how to do a deadlift correctly, of how to do a um, squat correctly, of how to do a bent over row correctly. So high reps before we kind of move into that hypertrophy, once that muscle memory is created after four to six weeks. And what you're saying here is it's the same with the brain and self-love. It's how can you love yourself today and build those repetitions? Yes, so much. And so the analogy there of when you start off with high reps, the idea that, you know, the part two of that is a light weight. Something mm. you do a lot of reps with something that's lighter, it's easier to lift. And that analogy pertains to habit change, particularly with weight loss as well. It's like, it is so, so, so crucial to start with easy baby steps um, mm. because you can build in those, that volume of reps with an easy step before moving on to something a little bit heavier. Like, you know, a perfect analogy is like, let's say you're like, okay, I want to exercise more. Um, so I'm going to go for a three mile run five days a week. But, you know, life is rarely perfect. And so <laughs> if you could start with, I'm going to walk around the block that I know I can do, even when a dog pooped on the floor and it was, you know, late from work and all the, you know, just life just did not go to plan today. I can walk around the block. I can do that. And like build in those wins with the lighter weight, the, the lighter ask, so you can get in those repetitions. Mm, yes, that's so true. Why do we kind of like set ourselves up for failure? Because I would say it's more common that somebody will say like, hey, I don't exercise. I don't run at all. So I'm going to start doing like three mile runs three times a week. Why do we jump to that rather than just allowing ourselves to walk around the block once per week, uh, once yeah, per day? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing with food as well. Like I, you know, yes. You know, McDonald's every night. You're like, I'm going to have a salad for dinner every night. I'm like this, yeah. no. <laughs> um, so two things. Why do we do that? And also why does that actually go against the way our brains are naturally wired? Mm-hmm. So why do we do that? Is because we are, our society is, um, you know, kind of built around um, results quickly. We, we want, we don't have to wait for much these days. You know, Amazon mm-hmm. shows up the next day, sometimes even the same day. Netflix is streaming. We, we don't have to wait anymore. And so our patience is very low. And so we want to kind of over, uh, over um, push to get the result quickly. And mm-hmm. also our society is uh, kind of glorifies the, the workaholic, the dualaholic, like let's just go, 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 go. And so it feels, um, you almost get a little bit of a dopamine hit to be like, I'm going to really like power that power through this. 
because that's what our society rewards and glorifies. But here's why that frequently, almost always ends up with you fall off the wagon and you give up because that is literally not how our brains are wired. Mm. So if you think about it, back in, you know, caveman days, you know, our brains kind of are, are sort of in two parts. This is a very rough analogy, but we got the new brain, the prefrontal cortex. That's where we make decisions uh, you know, about the future. Like I'm going to go on a diet. Then we've got our more primitive brain, the subconscious mind. So subconscious mind was developed eons ago in caveman days. And in caveman days, any kind of change was a threat. So mm-hmm. a rustle in the grass, that's different. Is that, a, is that a predator? Does it have teeth? Or the weather's different. Uh-oh, is the, is the weather going to change? Is there going to be a famine? Our brains learned to be always on the lookout, like scanning for change to see what's different and how is that, a, how is that bad? How is that a threat? And so our brains, you know, our, our circumstances, our, our um, environments are very different, but our brains are still pretty similar. And so our today brains are always still looking for change and they see it as a threat. Mm. What's a diet? A whole lot of change all at once. Yeah. So you can, with your prefrontal cortex, you can willpower your way towards, I'm going to have salad for dinner or I'm going to run three miles. But all the while, your subconscious mind is like, you know, alarm bells going off, red alert, red alert. How quickly can we get back to normal? Because normal is safe. Normal is familiar. I know that's going to keep us alive. And so that's where a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors come from. That's why it's so easy to kind of fall off the wagon because your brain is literally working against you to go back to normal. Yes, that makes total sense. So what you're saying is that we're wired to be negative. We're wired to focus on the worst case scenario then. 100%. Yeah. So um, you, you may have heard of the frame the, or the phrase the negativity bias. Mm. And so it, our natural default setting is to look for what's wrong. Where's the problem? And mm. so that's why it's one of the things that I love to talk about is it is so crucial to proactively kind of take charge of your thoughts because if you just leave your brain alone, it's going to find the things that are wrong with your life, with your environment, with your body, with yourself, you know, hello, I am not enough. Like (laughs) that's the way we are wired. And so if you want to feel happy, you gotta, you gotta do it on purpose. Mm, I love that. I, I love the way that you've framed all of this and, and that you've actually broken it down in a really simple way, because I think that because our techno technology and our society has evolved so quickly, especially in the last century, um, we don't often stop and think that biologically, physiologically, we haven't evolved as as much as what we have like kind of externally. So we do need to kind of bring it back to these caveman days and think about like why we're so resistant to habits in the first place. And I think, you know, just going back to my journey and my experience, what was one of the pivotal points for me was, you know, realizing that, this is normal. You know, the fact that it's hard for me to change my habits, the fact that, you know, uh, my habits haven't changed uh, in 30 days and 60 days is normal. It helped me let go of some of the shame and the shoulds of like, this should be easy by now. What's my problem? Why can't I, you know, I know what to do. Why can't I do it? Like it, all of this stuff explained that it's, it's not a problem with me necessarily. It's just, this is the way I'm wired. So why don't we work with the way our brains work versus trying to you know, force, force it the other way and then feeling guilt and shame when we feel like we fail. 
Are you tired of constantly feeling burnt out while trying to achieve your goals? Do you find yourself struggling to maintain motivation and productivity over long periods of time? I'd like to introduce you to the Goal Getting Journal, the ultimate solution for those of you who want to surpass their goals without burning out. Our journal is designed to help you set achievable goals, track your progress, and maintain a healthy work-life balance. With our journal, you'll discover practical strategies for managing stress, staying motivated, and avoiding burnout, including time blocking, habit stacking, and so much more. You'll also learn how to prioritize your tasks and maximize your productivity so you can get more done in less time. The Goal-Getting Journal is perfect for anyone who wants to achieve their goals without sacrificing their mental health and well-being. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, or just someone who wants to make any positive change in your life, the Goal-Getting Journal can help you stay on track and avoid burnout. And for Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off your first journal using the code HFPODCAST. Go to goalgettingjournal.com and type HFPODCAST at checkout to get your discount. So what are you waiting for? Order the Goal Getting Journal today and start getting your goals without burning out. And willpowering our way into a habit is always like so frustrating as well. So I kind of love to dive into that a little bit more. You know, if you are eating McDonald's every single day, um, and I've actually been there, like that's my early, early 20s. I was um, early 20s and late teens eating Macca's, KFC, Coca-Cola, at least a can of Coca-Cola every day. I would smash a family-sized bar of chocolate. Loved it, living the dream. <laughs> um, and and I got there eventually. But I'm really curious for people who listening that kind of feel so far removed and they've tried will powering their way. It sounds like we've got one tangible tip already ready, and that is the small steps and and understanding that you maybe you know shouldn't kind of go from uh, that's a should there. Um, it's probably not ideal to go from uh, from McDonald's every day to salads every night. What are some other strategies that you might give somebody to kind of work with your brain to help them with that habit change over time? Mm, Yeah. Thanks for asking. Actually, um, in my book, I kind of talk about a four-step process of making, making, (laughs) we're talking about macros here. There we go. Making habit change easier. And I use the analogy of rolling a boulder up a hill Um, Mm. because back in the day I taught chemistry and, um, Activation energy is the energy it takes for two uh, elements to come together and become something new. And so that's kind of the analogy of what does it take to take you in this new habit and become something new? And it takes some energy. And that's like rolling a boulder up a hill. But as you might imagine, rolling that boulder up a hill takes a lot, a lot of energy before it gravity takes it down. And so to make it easier on yourself, you make the boulder smaller. So that's what we already talked about by instead of running three miles, five days a week is walk around the block, make that, make that boulder smaller, then make the hill smaller. So make Mm -hmm. it easier to succeed. And what that means is there is no grade for a good workout or a bad workout. There's no grade for a good meal or a bad meal. It is, I'm working on X, like a light switch. Is it, it's either up or it's down. I'm working on X. I either did it or I didn't. So for example, let's take it to food. If I'm working on adding in a little bit more vegetables today. Did I eat a vegetable? Yes, no. It's not like, well, I had vegetables at lunch, but then I ate a bunch of ice cream after dinner. It's like, nope. Give yourself the best chance to feel successful by making that smaller. Yes or no. And, And speaking of feeling successful, it's one of those 
when we've talked, been talking about brain science, and this will really show you how I geek out about it, is <laughs> we, we've all heard, you know, small wins are, are really important to celebrate, but there's the neurology behind that is in the brain, the, the neurotransmitter of effort is epinephrine. And so, you know, I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to go for this run and I'm going to power that through. That's epinephrine. And scientists have noticed that as epinephrine levels rise, there is a point in which it drops off and they call that the quitting effect, which is basically, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm not seeing the results. I quit. There's no way I can succeed. I'm out. This is basically what's happening in the brain. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter of reward of like, ooh, this is good. More of that, please. And so what scientists have learned is when dopamine is present with epinephrine, the brain can tolerate higher levels of epinephrine before that quitting effect happens. Mm. So when we tell ourselves, I'm going to work really, really hard, but I'm not going to feel happy until I lose weight, our epinephrine levels rise and we get to the quitting effect before we feel that happiness, that that reward. Mm, That dopamine, yeah. Right. But if we give ourselves credit along the way of, well, I didn't run three miles, but I walked around the block, win. Uh, I didn't you know, eat the most perfect dinner, but I had vegetables today. When you're adding dopamine so that you can keep going to eventually get to your reward at the end. Oh, I love the way that you explain that with science as well, because that's like very easy to understand and, and very easy to visualize because it, I would say that a lot of people listening to this podcast have gotten here because they want to get their goals without burning out. And that's essentially the burnout point when we don't yeah. have enough dopamine to keep ourselves going. <laughs> So much. Yes. And so the, the, the takeaway there is it's not a nice to have, it's not cute to like celebrate yourself when you win. It is literally a must if Mm. you want to eventually achieve that long-term goal, you've got to give yourself credit for the baby steps along the way, because that is, that is the fuel that will help you keep going. Yes. I love that. Oh, there's okay. There's a couple of directions I want to go, but I'm going to start with this small, small hill here. Um, I've heard a lot about making the boulder smaller as the analogy you put it of, um, of of kind of like breaking your goals down into something more achievable, but not necessarily like how can you make that hill smaller? And and it, it made me think of somebody close to me in my life where they like to skip legs day. And mm. the reason they like to skip legs day is because they don't feel like they get as much of a pump out of it. You know, they really get a pump out of chest and out of back. And and legs day just like doesn't make them feel as though they put in enough effort at the end of the workout and and they don't get that feeling that they enjoy from working out. And I guess using that example, making the hill smaller in that regard would be just like detaching yourself from the feeling at all, right? Is that what you mean? Um, I would say it's if this person is interested in like if the goal is I want to do all my workouts, even legs day. Mm. Um, it's like, you don't get a grade for a great leg workout or a minimal one. It's like, yes. did you do a leg move? Did you do squats? Five right. of them, three of them. Yes. No. So you give yourself that credit for showing up. So basically you're making it objective rather than subjective. Like, yes. so even with the vegetable analogy, it's not, oh, I ate my vegetables, but I had ice cream. It's I ate my vegetables. hundred percent. Yep. I love that. Just take the subjectivity out of it, which is generally the subconscious stuff that's like, hey, let's beat myself up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, and that works against us as well because 
the brain, the brain's pretty straightforward in that, like we look to seek pleasure and avoid pain mm-hmm. and beating ourselves up. Science, scientific studies have been done about this, that actually self-compassion is much more effective in terms of long-term, long-term behavior change than beating yourself up because beating yourself up feels bad. And when the brain says, oh, we feel bad, let's fix this really quick. What gives us dopamine? What, what feels good really fast? Food, high in sugar, salt, and fat. <laughs> yes. So we feel bad, we go for the food, then we feel worse. And you know, it's, it's a downward, downward spiral. Yes, yes. Uh, eating is so much more emotional than it is logical, um, you know, and it's same with drinking as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of admiration for people who can truly, if they want to, you know, live under the analogy of food is just fuel. But mm. in, in my opinion, food is so much more than fuel. It's, it's comfort, it's safety, it's communion, it's community, it's a way to express love. And so I, I never want to demonize food in that way. It's more like, why are you eating and how can it be the, the best service to you? Even if it, that's feeding your emotions, like let's, let's get curious about it as opposed to shaming yourself about it. Absolutely. And I'm so with you there as well, even if it is. So I think the reason why I haven't moved away from alcohol, even though I know there's like so many things that alcohol is not good for you, it is that social community communion and that social benefit and like wine with friends over dinner is amazing. Even though logically, like you could beat yourself up as well and say, hey, like this is poison for your body. Um, Because, you know, essentially it is in many ways, but it's the same with like eating the brownie, you know, having that self-awareness of when, when we're eating a brownie mindlessly and when we're truly enjoying the brownie and saying like, this is for my emotional health and this, in this purpose, I'm, I'm intellectually aware of that and I'm really going to enjoy this. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. I think a lot of people listening to this right now would want to give themselves more self-compassion than they do beat themselves up, but they just don't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a statement that's easy to kind of say, but harder to work through. So how would you suggest somebody works towards... The, I think you provided a great example of like picking what's easy of like, I'm so grateful for how my heart beats and 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 lungs, you know, lungs provide my body with, with all of this uh, amazing stuff that converts carbon dioxide and all this sort of stuff. But um, are there any other strategies that you would help people to like overcome that beating themselves up all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a, a kind of self-compassion light way to go about it is simply ask yourself, you know, how would you treat your friend? If you were having coffee with a friend and they came to you with the same thing, you know, I, um, I had, you know, six drinks last night with friends when I was only going to have two and you know, what would you tell them? Um, would you beat them up or would you tell them, Hey, you know, you had a tough day or it's okay, or let's do better next time. That's, that's self-compassion light. If you're really wanting to go deep, there's a self-compassion exercise um, that I have found to be immensely powerful. And I do it on a regular basis, especially when I'm feeling some kind of pain or shame. And it's, um, you know, when you have some time, kind of quiet time, imagine your younger self, um, six to nine years old, get really clear. Like imagine, you know, like a picture of you when you were a kid, what were you wearing? Like this is innocent you. And innocent you, young you comes into the room with tears in their eyes because they are feeling everything that you're feeling right now. All that shame, all that guilt, it's, it is in their heart and on their shoulders right now. Aww. 
And yeah. And so how would you comfort this child you? What would you say to them to help them understand they were just doing the best they could with the circumstances that were in the moment? Yes. And I know the first time I did that exercise, I just burst into tears because it was the first time I'd ever said, I love you to myself. Um, now, full disclosure, some people have had trauma in their past and it's difficult to imagine them, their younger selves, which is totally okay. And if that's too sensitive, try imagining um, something innocent, whether it is like a small person in your life, a niece, nephew, what have you, mm. or a pet even, you know, a, an, a, or a rescue animal. That same kind of thing of like innocent creature is feeling all of the difficult emotions and how would you comfort them? Oh my goodness. That made me feel really emotional because I could so easily visualize my little self and I'm like, oh no, like it's okay. Like just wanting to give her a really big hug. (laughs) 100%. And we all have a six-year-old in our hearts. We're just honestly big six-year-olds walking around with a lot of extra walls in front of them, you know, but we all need that comfort. Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals, and sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. I can't remember the TikTok or Instagram audio, but it's like... It's something along the lines of like, who let me be an adult unsupervised all this time? <laughs> who thought that was a good idea? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I often use the phrase adulting, like uh-huh. which adult knows how to like cut spring onions or scallions properly? Like, can I yeah. have an adult help me out here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's a really great tangible thing that I feel like is a great exercise to help work towards that self-compassion. Um, something that you had written before we um, 
before we jumped on this podcast, you know, some of the topics and the things in your bio was stop waiting to lose weight in order to fully participate in life. And that really struck a chord with me. Can you elaborate on that statement? And, you know, I guess this is two-pronged. What you see versus what the ideal state of that statement means. Mm. So I remember um, vividly when a client said that to me. She said, I'm just so tired. You know, I've been on this side and that diet, and I'm just so tired to of waiting to participate in my life until after I lose weight. And that just struck me so deeply. Mm. And I think we do that because... Well, lots of reasons, but basically we tell ourselves, I'll be, I'll be worthy when I lose weight. I'll be, you know, people won't judge me when I lose weight and you know, all of the limiting beliefs. And so we wait, um, for, to, to go for our dreams, to, to be in photographs with our family Yes, after we lose weight, because we feel like there's, we, we basically put our self-worthiness on that number, on the gene size and, you know, this again, it's not our fault. Like that's a lot of the messaging that we get from society. But my message there is why let something outside of you determine your self-worth? Every single one of us is created for a reason. We are, there is no mistakes in, in the universe. Like you are here on purpose and you have a message, you have a gift to bring to the world. And every minute you spend pushing off, shining your light as bright as you can because you're waiting until you lose weight. You're, you know, you don't feel like you're good enough. Every minute that you wait is a minute that you're depriving the, the world of why you're here. Mm. And I genuinely believe that every one of us has something unique and important to, to give and share with the world. That's why we're here. And so it, there, there's not only your dreams are for you, but they're for the people on the other side of your dreams as well. There are people waiting for you to shine your light. And so don't wait. Wow. It's almost like um, holding back on whatever it is that you need to do. I don't want to say it's selfish, but it's like it's preventing the world from like receiving your gift and from receiving all you have to give. And um, I love that you noticed that with the client in terms of like what they said in terms of like, I, I just can't wait to lose weight so I can actually participate in life because that's like so sad. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is amazing how many people resonate with that. And they're like, wow, that's exactly what I've been doing. And I feel like if you feel, if you don't feel comfortable in your own skin and you want to lose weight, you're not feeling like a hundred percent with your body, you probably... Some, I would speak for some, don't feel like they have a gift or don't know what that gift is yet or don't know how they're here to serve others. Mm -hmm. For people who like, if you're explaining that to them, we're like, well, I don't know what I'm here to do or how I'm going to serve or how I actually help people. What would you help them with to get to that place? And just to make sure I understand, how would I help them get to the place of like, here's the thing that you're here to give? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about noticing when you get lit up. Um, mm. And, you know, there are so many different ways, but the thing that makes you feel good is meant to feel good. It's, mm. it's meant to be shared. You know, um, if it's like, I love making art, it's your art is meant to serve you and feed you as well as others. If it's, you know, coaching, if it's, fitness, if it's, um, 
raising your children, those things are for you and for them. And it's, it's like leaning into that feel good is not something we're taught how to do. We're taught how mm-hmm. to grind. We're taught how to work hard and push off our feel good until some other time. And so I would, I would talk to somebody about follow the breadcrumbs of things that feel good. Like, let's look back and like, what are the things that light, that light you up, that make you feel lifted up? What are the things that are such a drag? And like, let's work with the way you're wired and help you, you know, baby step your way. Again, going back to the little steps, like you don't have to quit your job, you know, little ways that you can lean into. What are the things that just make you feel amazing? Maybe it's singing in the choir. I love this. And it really, it kind of circles back to what you were mentioning earlier in terms of like self-compassion and dopamine specifically, that's two-pronged. Like one, more self-compassion and positivity towards ourselves and, and wiring ourselves to kind of get that dopamine. But then also, if we follow the things that make us feel good tangibly as well, that's what's going to help increase that even more, like tenfold. It's that's I love that example. Yeah. And what's interesting too, I wonder if you've ever seen this in your coaching is that um, I notice a lot of people, women in particular, struggle to receive. They, mm. they struggle to allow themselves to feel good. Um, you know, whether that's in their families of like, I've got so much to do. Like I'm the one always doing the things. It's hard to receive help or it's hard to receive a compliment or it's hard to receive our worthiness to, to Mm -hmm. understand and believe that we are enough. And the analogy I like to use is like, imagine um, a kid on Christmas morning or holiday morning and they're getting their present and you're the adult giving the kid a present. And you're so excited to see this kid open up their present and you're just like, they're going to love it. And the child opens up the present and they're like, Oh yeah, I didn't, it's no big deal. Like you as the giver feel so disappointed and Mm -hmm. Like, imagine if God was that way with the gifts that each of us are given that like, you you are supposed to receive and feel amazing about it. Like, thank you so much for these gifts. Thank you for the things I get to do in this world. Thank you for that compliment. Thank you for my worthiness and receive it because it feels good. It's supposed to feel good. Like a kid opening Mm. a present. Yes, that is such a good analogy. You have such a great way. I I need to compliment you on this now. I'll compliment it when you're offline as well of like, having such golden nuggets, but sharing it in a way that's so digestible and also concise. It's, yeah. So A, compliment on that, but also with regards to receiving, I feel this personally, like I'm dating at the moment and um, this person I'm dating right now, like made me dinner the other night and I'm like, and cleaned. And I really Mm -hmm. struggled with that. (laughs) I was like, what can I do to help? You know, like he's, he's like, just sit on the couch and like chill. And I'm like, I really struggled with that. And I, I do teach people to receive and, and um, definitely with regards to gratitude and, and I, I'm completely aligned, aligned with your analogy as well. It's, it's funny observing that within yourself. So what would be the small steps for people? That's probably a bigger example of receiving, but what are the small step, steps for people to learn how to like receive? Sure. I think one of my greatest lessons in this was... Um, I was, uh, my husband was in the military. He was away. Kids were small and I was sick and, um, was pushing myself too hard, et cetera. And I woke up one Saturday morning. and was like, I just can't even. Mm. And my, my parents were too far away, but his parents were a three hour drive. And it was so hard 
for me to call and ask for help, but I did. I called and said, can you please just come and watch the kids so I can go to the urgent care and get some antibiotics? And they did. And they were so happy to help. They were, and this was a big ask, obviously, but they were so glad. And so helping feels really good. And so that tiny step and allowing yourself to receive, just like you mentioned the other night when somebody made you dinner and, and cleaned up is like, it feels a little weird for me to just receive this and just sit here and relax, but know that you are giving that person a gift because they're feeling good to help you. You're yes. letting them feel good by receiving it. And if you're like, no, 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 I won't let you, that feels bad. And so almost in an altruistic way, I'm allowing the giver to feel good by receiving. Mm, that's such a good way to reframe it. And you know, even if we struggle with that in the moment, we can think back to that analogy you provided of like when we give gifts, like we're so excited to have yeah. them. You just can't wait for them to open your gift. So you're like, oh, they've opened my gift yet. And and just thinking about that analogy of how you like to give is such a great way to learn to receive yourself. Yeah, yeah. Receiving, being a graceful receiver is worth practicing because it makes other people feel good. Mm. And it's good for you too. It feels good too to receive. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to receive as well. I I have loved listening to you today. Honestly, like you have provided so much value in so many different ways. So I want to open the floor up to you now. What do you like to talk about? What do you feel like you haven't spoken about today that you really wanted to share with the audience? Oh, thanks. Um um, I, I, well, I wrote a whole book about, you know, <laughs> how to feel my book is called you're a miracle. And I wrote it in a way that I wanted people to understand that just like that, that body uh, appreciation exercise, like you, your body is a miracle, literally like it, you get a cut and it heals itself. That is amazing. And so there are so many ways that you can feel amazing about yourself right now. And there are tactical steps about losing weight, particularly the emotional and mental sides that diets don't cover of like, you know, how to stop eating your feelings or, you know, self-sabotage or what to do when you um, travel and, and things like that. It's not just about following the rules. It's about what happens when the rules aren't enough to help you. What happens when, you know, you, you could care less about the rules. All right, let's handle it now. And there's, there's so much about that. But also I wanted, the reason why I titled it, you are a miracle is because it's not only your body is a miracle, but you as a, as a spiritual being in this body are a miracle and you're here for a reason. And it's not just to worry about your weight. And so it's about allowing yourself to love yourself, to love who you are imperfectly and, you know, shine your light as you are, as you are today, imperfectly. Mm. I, it's so awesome how you bring all those angles to it as well. It's not just like the physical body and the, the mental body, but it's also the spiritual body as, as well. And kind of like what your soul was meant to share, like what just who you are innately, like is okay as it is, like no matter what, even if it's not perfect. And I think a lot of people need to be reminded of the true miracle that they are. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I have really loved this conversation. I could honestly, because I know that you have so much more knowledge with regards to like brain science, you've shared a few specific tangible things with us today, but I just know that 
you have just so much more you could share. Um, so I'm sure people want more of Lizzie. So tell me how we can find you. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. I have loved this conversation as well. I really appreciate it. Um, the easiest and fastest way is to check out my podcast, The Confident Body Podcast. Um, my name is spelled L-I-Z-Z-I-E if you're looking for it. Um, I, like I said, I wrote a book. It's called You Are a Miracle, How to Lose Weight and Love Your Body Too. And if you want to check out more about me, my website is confidentbody.coach. I love that. That's awesome. And for all the millennials listening, that's Lizzie, like Lizzie McGuire. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> hey now. Hey now. <laughs> I don't know why. As soon as you said that, like that, that song popped into my head. <laughs> when that show came out, I was like, oh, finally, someone spelled it right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we do have a closing question on this podcast, Liz Lizzie. And that question is, if you were sitting across the table right now from your 20-year-old self, what one sentence of advice would you give her? Mm. I'd say, honey, just lean into your weird, lean into your cheesy, lean into exactly who you are. Because the more you can be all of you and love you, the more you'll shine. Mm. I love that. I think that more of us feel weird or like a square peg at a round hole than people actually feel normal. Like, isn't that weird? Because we're not inside other people's brains. So we don't know that every... Like, we feel so disconnected from other people because I, at 20, even now, I just feel like, why aren't I normal? Like, why do I have to be weird? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've got another 20 minutes, like I, I guess there's brain science behind that we could talk about. Maybe we'll do that on the next interview. Yes, we're going to have to have another chat because, um, and that'll be my first question. I, yeah. So I'm actually with you in terms of like, I love my weird and I love that I'm strange. I love that I'm overly talkative and all that sort of stuff because there's <laughs> gifts gifts there too. But it took me a journey to get there. And I'm sure, um, I guess that's, I guess that's the uh, cliffhanger we'll leave everyone with until we can chat again. Perfect. Well, thank you, Lori. This has been a ton of fun. No, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Thank and for everyone listening at home, in the car, cleaning the house, whatever you're up to today, eat well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining. <laughs>